Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that this spring will offer special volunteer vacations designed for visitors to spend a day doing a stewardship project and another heading out on a Tillamook Coast adventure. It's free and a way to have fun and give back, and we'll have more details on this a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks during winter and spring to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to buy firewood from the park or nearby community to avoid bringing invasive species, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're talking about how to take advantage of Oregon's glorious mountain snowpack this spring and how to ski on the cheap. We'll also dive into a few spring break trip ideas before highlighting some recent news that includes the rebound of Oregon's cutest little shorebird. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. today's episode, we're going to focus on making the most of this upcoming spring break and the rest of April before shifting into some news. So this will be another grab bag podcast, and we're going to start off with a focus on spring break adventures, including why it's so important to take advantage of Oregon's current and excellent snowpack, especially with El Nino on the horizon for next year. We'll talk about great skiing deals, a beautiful snowshoe to the base of the Three Sisters, whale watching, and two outdoorsy museums worth visiting. In the second half, we'll catch up on a few news stories that includes the revival of what might be Oregon's most adorable shorebird. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, so to start, we really need to celebrate that this spring we're going to have plenty of mountain snow. We have had a great La Nina winter in Oregon, and our current snowpack currently sits at 130% of normal. The long-term weather outlook favors cold and probably wet conditions through spring break and into April, so there's probably even more where that's come from. Now, I know that's going to come as a real bummer for some folks who can't wait to say farewell to the wet and cold, but I'm going to make the opposite case, that this is the exact spring to embrace your inner abominable snowman. There's two reasons why. First, there are some great skiing deals to be had, and spring skiing is warmer, it's cheaper, it's less crowded. There's all kinds of great things about spring skiing. But second, and probably more important, there are decent odds that next year Oregon could have a pretty poor year for mountain snow. So this is the spring to gather ye snowflakes while ye may. 
But let's hit on the fun stuff first. So look, we've talked about this before, but spring is a great time to learn to ski, to bring kids skiing for the first time, or just get in your turns. The weather is typically nicer, crowds are smaller, lift tickets are cheaper, and a lot cheaper in some cases. And because our snowpack is so good this year, almost all of Western Oregon ski areas are planning to stay open until the end of April, and Mount Bachelor and Timberline will stay open until the end of May, so there is plenty of time left to get out there. As far as prices go, just about every ski area in Oregon is cheaper in the spring, both in terms of daily lift tickets or spring passes. Uh, I've got a story online that details a bunch of them. My favorite deal this year actually comes from Willamette Pass, which is southeast of Eugene. They're featuring lift tickets from $19 to $25 for adults, free skiing for kids 12 and under, rentals for $19 per day, and free lessons. Like those, that's that's four pretty strong things that they're bringing to the table there. And they're definitely making an effort to get families out to Willamette Pass. There are other really fun events and deals to be had at various ski areas across the state. There's the Pond Skimming and Costume Contest at my local hill, uh, Hoodoo. Mount Hood Meadows has some great deals. There's just a lot of fun to be had out there in the spring and, again, great deals. But there's another and more compelling reason to take advantage of the snow, and that comes from the fact that next year might not be a great ski season. That's definitely not guaranteed, and you never know with the weather, but we're just looking at odds. So Oregon recently exited a triple-dip La Nina pattern. So that meant three years of La Nina winters, and La Nina winters tend to be cooler, wetter, and bring better snow. The last three years weren't always ideal, but overall, they were pretty good for winter recreation, at least compared to the mid-2010s. Even with climate change bringing us some historically hot years over the past three years, our La Nina winters have been pretty good, all things considered. But that changes next year, with odds tilting towards an El Nino winter, which historically means warmer winter temperatures. That warm pattern on top of climate change could lead to a pretty brutal winter for snow and for skiing, similar to 2015, a year when many ski areas couldn't open. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Nobody is saying that's definitely going to happen, but there are reasons to be concerned about it. And to explain it a little bit more, here's some audio from my interview with Oregon State climatologist Larry O'Neill. The full interview on Oregon's climate future is going to post a little later this month or maybe in early April, but I thought this part was relevant now. So here's a little bit of audio from Larry O'Neill. But there are some models that suggest next winter an El Nino, a very strong El Nino or a strong El Nino will develop. So it is, um, you know, we don't expect any immediate concerns and maybe not um, much impact for the summer. But uh, definitely going into next fall or winter, I think, is, is going to be uh, um, the most impactful time. Okay, gotcha. And so the concern there would be a snowpack, you know, water, and just like it just being warmer, um, a lot warmer absolutely. than it would have been, and similar to 2015. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I should mention that the uh, El Nino and La Nina uh, effects on our weather in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we tend to get a uh, more consistent signal in the temperatures rather than precipitation. So... Um, you know, we've had El Ninos in the past. Actually, 2015 was a good case. We actually had average to above average precipitation for a lot of Oregon. It was just too warm for the snow to yeah. um, stick around. 
Yeah, I remember that. We would constantly get these like these rain events that would come in and it was almost like you'd watch it and you'd look at the temperature and you're just like, oh, no, oh, no, because it would just it, would, <laughs> it couldn't get below freezing. And so nothing turned into snow. And it was yeah. obviously really frustrating to ski areas um, because they would hold out hope that maybe it would finally turn into snow and it just never, never did. And a lot of them weren't able to open or were open for just a couple days. It was it was pretty striking. So I guess a selfish takeaway is that if you love skiing, you should take advantage of this really nice snowpack out there because there's decent odds that next winter won't be very good snow wise. Like, is that fair? Or is that pushing it too far? No, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, get your turns in now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to get out and enjoy this precious snow, you don't necessarily have to go downhill skiing. Of course, there are numerous places to go snowshoeing or cross country skiing or sledding or snowmobiling. We've talked about them a lot over the years, but the snow parks of Sanium Pass, Willamette Pass, the Mount Hood area, they're great options. They're, you know, you get your $25 snow park pass, you can park in these plowed out areas and explore, you know, hundreds of miles of trails. But I thought I would highlight one of my favorites, a place I just visited, and it's not one that I've talked about before, and it is just outside of Sisters, and it's called Upper Three Creek Snow Park. The snow park is just down Three Creeks Road, which becomes Forest Service Road 16, and is pretty well known outside of Sisters. It's the one that'll eventually take you to Three Creek Lakes. I'm going to have a more detailed story coming out soon, but in short, it has a pretty easy to moderate snowshoe trek to a snow shelter called Jefferson View Shelter. It's kind of a funny name because while it does have a view of Mount Jefferson, the most striking views are definitely of the Three Sisters, which are so close you almost feel like you can like put your hand out and touch them. I'd say that of all the snow shelters I've been to, and I've been to most all of them, this one has the best views. The snowshoe trip is a little less than five miles round trip, and I'd call it moderate difficulty uh, because there is some climb. There's actually a cross-country ski route there that I'd also call moderate to advanced difficulty just because there are some pretty steep climbs, there's a downhill, so it's not ideal for beginners. You definitely want to have good skis with metal edges and some experience. But if you can, it's a really fun ski trip. I actually did the ski trip, but uh, I've talked to some friends who have done the snowshoe trip and they speak very highly of it. If you're skiing or snowshoeing, there are some longer loops and routes that you can explore while you're out there. The basic you know, trip to the shelter, again, about five miles round trip, but there are all kinds of different areas you can explore. You can all actually ski all the way to Three Creek Lake if you want to. There's just a lot of open terrain and it's all very beautiful. The entire area sits in the burn scar of the Pole Creek Fire, which contributes to the great views. I mean, with the burn forest, you can really see a lot of mountain views, but it also means that on sunny days, especially those warm spring sunny days, there is not a lot of protection from the sun. So you're going to want to make sure for sure to bring sunglasses or goggles and then load up on lots of sunscreen. So a super quick note on the area, and this is not related to winter, uh, but I did report that this road, in question, the one that leads to Three Creek Lakes outside of Sister, uh, it's going to have a delayed start to the upcoming camping season. It's because as the snow melts out, the Forest Service is going to do some road work 
And as someone who's traveled that road last year and loves camping in the Three Creek area, the road was in awful shape. So fixing up the road is a good thing, but it's going to push back the start of camping season out there. It's going to push back access to trailheads like popular Tam MacArthur Rim uh, until July 21st. So keep that in mind if you're planning a trip to the Three Creek area or the Tam MacArthur Rim area. Okay, so continuing spring break ideas, uh, this upcoming break will also see the return of spring whale watch week. It kind of remains to be seen if we're going to get any nice clear days out on the coast, but either way, there will be volunteers at the best places along the coast, so 17 of the best spots to see gray whales, from March 28th through April 2nd. Now, spring is definitely the best time to see whales out there because with the spring migrations, when the gray whales are traveling from calving grounds in you know the southern ocean into the north, they tend to be a little bit closer to the shore so you can get better views of them. We had a full podcast on exactly what's going on under the water, like you know what's the dynamic of the gray whale families, um, what are they doing, why are they making these trips, and is one of our more popular podcasts. So I'd encourage you to listen to that. But one fun thing is that in the spring. Again, the whales are much closer to shore, and if you get really lucky, you might even see a mom and calf swimming slowly close to that shore. They're doing that as a way to avoid killer whales that do hunt baby gray whales. We have a pretty cool video of a mom and baby at statesmanjournal.com, so you can get a feel for just how magical those moments can be. Again, my favorite spot to watch whales has always been hiking the Cape Trail at Cape Lookout State Park, on the famous trail that heads all the way out you know, two miles into the ocean. And if you get lucky, you know, that it sticks out far enough that whales will come right below it. And that is an unforgettable experience. I'd also say that if you want to get the, you know, a good family experience, get the best information, it's worth stopping at the Whale Watching Center in Depot Bay. Well, I could go on and on with ideas for spring break, but we're going to wrap up with two outdoors-themed museums. Uh, the first one is the reopening of the Tillamook Forest Center, which is west of Portland along the Wilson River. This is part museum and part gateway into Tillamook State Forest. The center really focuses on telling the story of the Tillamook Burn, the, the giant wildfire that hit this area in the 1930s, and the response and reforestation after the fire. But there's a model fire tower that you can climb, that the kids can enjoy. There's a lot of hands-on exhibits. So it's a fun museum tucked in the forest that you can enjoy. And once you're done at the museum, you can head out over this really beautiful bridge and onto the Wilson River Trail. Uh, that's a popular trail for mountain biking, if you're into that. So this makes a good access point for that. But there's some hiking to some really beautiful spots. I think from the Forest Center, there's a sh pretty short hike to a 40-foot waterfall and back. And it's all pretty kid-friendly. Jumping from the coast over to the east side of the Cascades, the other one I wanted to highlight is the High Desert Museum in Bend. And it's extending its hours to 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., but is keeping its cheaper winter rates in place for spring break. 
Along with being a cool place already, there will be more exhibits, more programs going on during spring break. And I am actually personally planning to head over there myself and bring my kids because I've never gotten to go there and experience it. So I'm really looking forward to checking out the High Desert Museum. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, I'm going to talk about a few news items that we reported recently, including some positive news about Oregon's cutest shorebird, followed by some troubling news about backcountry accidents, the Oregon coast's deadliest place, and then yet another concerning sign for Oregon's iconic trees. So that's when we return. I'm Sarah Melton with the American Forest Resource Council. I love the outdoors and exploring the forests near my hometown. My job is to protect our forests and wildlife. I work to defend forest management projects in the courtroom and to support the workers and agencies who steward our forests and public lands. Good forest management based on the best science keeps our forests healthy, improves wildlife habitat, keeps our air and water clean, and gives us the sustainable timber we need for renewable and climate-friendly wood products. AFRC is proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. Beginning in the spring of 2023, the Tillamook Coast Visitors Association is excited to announce a volunteer vacation program that will bring groups from inside or outside Tillamook County to lend a hand in stewardship programs while also having a good time. One example of an itinerary would be spending one day clearing invasive brush or working on a hiking trail while the next day could include a guided hike or kayak trip, the type of activity that highlights the Tillamook area and shows why doing stewardship projects is so important. All meals and transportation are included for the groups that take part, which will ideally be between eight and 12 people. The experience is free for those who take part. The program is designed to offer participants the opportunity to give back to our popular area while also learning the vital role stewardship plays in preserving our natural places. The program website will launch in March, so stay tuned for that. But if you want more information or to sign up early, contact Dan Hag, and you can reach him at dan at tillamookcoast, all one word, dot com. All right, welcome back. But we're going to return with some positive news, and that is the continued growth in the number of western snowy plovers. A generally adorable little bird best described as a palm-sized cotton ball with legs. The birds were placed on the endangered species list in 1993 when their population declined to just 55 birds in Oregon. And as recently as 2003, there was just an estimated 76 plovers roaming the Oregon coast beaches. But following a policy of closing off about 40 to 50 miles of coastal beach in plover nesting areas, the birds have rebounded to an estimated population of just under 500 birds. They're doing so well that they're even expanding their range to the north and to the south. The trick with plovers was just giving them space to hatch and raise their young. 
That's why you'll see roped off areas all along the coast, mainly in the southern coast in the Coos Bay area. What happens is that plovers nest by laying eggs in the dry sand of the coast, and then they have to stay on those eggs. Now, they already lost a lot of habitat due to invasive grass species just taking up a lot of beach where they had previously nested. And what was happening was with, with the area that they had left, uh, humans and dogs were kind of pushing them off nest sites. Not necessarily on purpose, but people just wouldn't see them. Um, and then the birds would, you know, hear a dog, see a person, they'd flee the nest sites, and then the eggs would fail or they'd get eaten by a predator. And this just happened enough that officials decided that they would just rope off some areas of the beach. And it's pretty remote stretches of beach and places where people are still allowed to bypass on wet sand, but it gives plovers just that space in the dry sand to stay on their eggs, raise their young. And again, it's worked so well that now plovers are in every coastal county in Oregon. It's hard to find wildlife wins these days, so it's nice to hear about the success of these plovers. And overall, the impact on humans, you know, it's just, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's a huge hassle. There are these roped off areas. There's plenty of beaches like that, but they're the most remote beaches. Uh, you can still bypass on the wet sand. And so overall, it seems like a, a nice thing to just have a win for wildlife. All right, up next is the much less joyful news that has been a bump in fatal accidents in Oregon's outdoors. So two backcountry snowboarders died in avalanches over the last month, one on Paulina Peak and another in Black Crater. Both of those are in central Oregon. For the record, both snowboarders were apparently well-prepared, but with backcountry skiing, there's just that avalanche danger that comes with the territory with this big snowpack. And this is just a reminder to take all possible precautions if you're going to do that wilderness style, that backcountry skiing or snowboarding. Another fatal accident took place on Cape Kiwanda, uh, out on the Oregon coast near Pacific City, when a 25-year-old California man went beyond a safety fence, fell from a rocky bluff, and was swept into the ocean. It marked the eighth fatal accident at the site since 2009, and I've written as much as anyone in the state about the issues at Cape Kiwanda, and unfortunately, this type of accident is pretty common for what we have seen there. In just about every case, it's people in their teens or early 20s that go past this fence, maybe trying to get this amazing picture, maybe just exploring, and they fall off these unstable sandstone cliffs and get swept into the ocean. Cape Kiwanda is slowly being knocked apart by the ocean. It's different than other parts of the coast because of it's, it's made of sandstone. It's just really unstable. And Cape Kiwanda, because of that, has been the most dangerous place on the coast for, you know, a century. At least 20 people have died here since the 1970s. And it, it's probably as high as 50 if you want to go back to the early, like, 1920s and 1930s. This isn't to minimize the, the tragic nature of this most recent fatal accident, only to point out that Cape Kiwanda is a, just a dangerous place and it's not a place that you want to mess around. All right, unfortunately, I'm going to end with yet another bit of depressing news about recent struggles of Oregon's iconic trees following years and really decades of drought and warmer than normal temperatures. So this week, research from Oregon State University said that Douglas fir trees in the lower elevations of the Klamath-Siskiyou Mountains of southern Oregon have entered a decline spiral. 
So that's their word for it. The dead trees are proliferating mainly in those low to moderate elevations of the Applegate, the Rogue, and the Umpqua Valleys. The reason, the researchers said, is that these sites are becoming too hot and dry to support the trees. It's a lack of rainfall, but also the elevated summer temperatures and aridness of the soil that both kills the trees and makes them more susceptible to insect and fungi infestation. It's a very similar story to what we heard about the decline of western red cedars in a podcast that we had earlier this year. It's just that these trees evolved under different conditions and are really struggling to keep up in these areas where climate change is hitting hardest right now, which for trees is these kind of transition zones between the valleys and the foothills where it's just hotter and drier than it was previously. I hate to end on that kind of depressing note, but that's just where we are and where the research is taking us. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.